Well, good morning, church. How's everybody? You're all right? Thumbs up. Let's have some thumbs up. Can you give a high five to the person next to you? High five in front of the screen like this, to the left and to the right. Just greet everyone this morning. Just great to be here on this wonderful day. Or well, every day is a great day. Try missing one, someone said. Well, I just want to welcome any guests that we have here this morning, any visitors. Welcome you all as well uh, to this wonderful Sunday morning. I hope, uh, Dad, you've spoilt your husband, your, your dads, you've spoilt your mums, your, your wives. And I hope uh, that children, you've spoilt your mums as well. Who had breakfast in bed this morning? How many mums had breakfast in bed? Uh, none of you. Okay, so I need to get on a special message for the children next week. I'm going to cancel what I'm going to preach next week. Special message for the children to look after your mums. Come on. You only have one mum. Uh, yeah, just thank uh, everyone for tuning in this morning. This is the way we're doing church at the moment. So I'm going to pray and we're going to uh, move on. And uh, let's do, do that right now. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you, Lord, that I am reminded that your mercies on you every day. Thank you, Father God, that though lawlessness abounds in the earth, grace abounds the more. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you, Lord, for protecting us. We've been praying for a year now, Psalm 91, over our family, over our church family. And Father God, we pray that you would continually protect us as these days, these dark days, uh, move on before us, Father God. Lord, I pray over this message this morning. I thank you for the word of life. I thank you that it is living, sharper than any two-edged sword. It is active and it will divide that of, that, those, that, that of the soul and the spirit, Father God. I thank you, Lord, for everyone under the sound of my voice. I thank you that I'm just the messenger. Holy Spirit, you are the true teacher. I thank you that you take the words that I may share today and carry them to every heart, that every heart would be open to receive that which the Spirit of God would want to impart to us today. Uh, Father God, I thank you that the word of God is incorruptible seed and it will go out on a purpose and it will, uh, uh, it will um, uh, give whatever you purpose it to do, Father. It will produce whatever you purpose it to do. And I thank you, Father God, that as the seed goes into the heart, it will bring a harvest to every life, 30, 60 and 100 fold. If you love the Lord, you say amen. I just want to remind everybody, I've just got one announcement. We've been doing Christianity Explored for the last two weeks. It's our third week on uh, Monday night. So don't forget, guys, to tune in 7.30. Can't wait to see you. Um, uh, I'm continuing this series, this message series on the three enemies of our faith. This is part two. And last week, we could see clearly from Ephesians 2 that we have these three enemies, the world, the flesh and the devil. And I explained what the word, the world represented last week. And it means this world system, the values that this world promotes. This is the first enemy of our faith. And uh, one thing I wanted to share before I move on to the second enemy, I didn't have time last week, so I just want to share that as we start today. I want to give you the heads up. If you'd like to turn to Mark 4, verse 16, I'm going to give you the first four verses uh, that I want you to go to or mark in your Bible. And then uh, you're on your own after that, guys. I'm just giving you the heads up. Um, I have hopefully given the verses to whoever's, I think it's Joy doing the uh, the, the, the 
clicking between things today. So I appreciate that joy. If you've got those to put them up on the screen, that's great. So Mark 4 is the first verse we're going to go to. Then we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Then back to Mark 4 again. So keep your place in Mark 4. And then Ephesians 6, if you'd go there for me, that will be brilliant. Okay. So, you know, I mentioned many times how powerful the Word of God is, and it's central for us as believers to live a victorious, overcoming life. And, and this series that I'm teaching goes on to what I shared a few weeks ago about living victoriously in difficult, challenging times. And I know we are living in really challenging times. And I've become aware, uh, and I'm aware all the time, that especially over the last few weeks, a couple of months, that people are feeling really wearied. They're feeling really tired. And I really sense that the enemy is on the attack. He thought he could close churches down. And he was probably thinking, there you see, God, through this pandemic, I've managed to close all the churches down. They can't gather together. But little did he know that we can gather in our homes like this because he's a bit of a dummy and he never learns. Isn't that right? Just say that after me. The devil is a dummy. <laughs> Amen. You know, we're going to have a look, first of all, at the parable of the sower. So if you've got your Bibles, your um, electronic devices, please turn with me to Mark chapter 4. I love this parable. You know, Jesus taught in parables, and these are stories that Jesus would teach that would carry a deeper spiritual truth. And um, Jesus said, this is the most important parable. And if we don't understand this one, we're not going to understand any of them. And he begins to teach from verse 1. But these disciples really didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And he had to explain it to them again. And he goes on from uh, and start. Then we're going to start in verse 16. You see, that's why they're called disciples. Anyway, I didn't quite understand what was going on. Here we go. Mark 4, 16, the new King James. I'm going to talk about these four soils for a moment. I'm just going to pick on two of them. It says, these likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, just look at that, immediately they receive it with gladness. So they're glad when they hear it. It says, goes on to say, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, look at that, immediately they stumble. It says that they hear the word, that's the seed, the seed that's being sown, but they have no root in themselves. I know it's spring now, and I love what, um, uh, what Cindy said, going out, especially on a sunny day, and all the daffs are out, and the flowers are out, and it looks really wonderful. And uh, I did some gardening during this lockdown. I don't like gardening. I like to see an, a, a nice garden, but I don't like gardening. One thing I do love to do is cut my lawn. I do love cutting grass. But if you want your grass cut, get your own husbands to do them. I'm not going to come over and cut your grass. Is that all right? And I planted some flowers and one, a few of them I didn't plant properly. And, and, the, and the roots were actually hanging out of the soil. So they didn't take after a time. And that's what this is talking about. You know, we need to be rooted. We need to be planted in a good church that makes the word of God central to all that we do so that we can grow. OK, let's go down to verse 18. Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. So all these guys hear the word. But then verse 19 says, 
and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things entering in choke the word. Look at that. It chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. You know, Jesus is the sower and he sows the word. And he describes these four types of soil. We've got wayside soil, we've got stony ground, we've got thorny ground, and we've got good ground. Say this after me. I am good ground. Come on, let's, let's confess that together. Say, I am good ground. Say this. I am good soil. Say this. My heart is good soil, and it's ready to receive the word this morning in Jesus' name. That's good. You know, the heart is where we believe. So the, the seed is the word of God and it goes into the heart. That's where we believe. And then this last verse, it says the word is sown on thorny ground. They actually hear the word. And this is the bit I want to highlight. Go back to verse 19 again. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and other things and the desires for other things, entering in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful so the thorny ground symbolizes those who become consumed by the worries and by the anxieties of this physical life and also the deceitfulness and enticement that wealth can bring you know we can be so caught up with life our jobs our kids our husbands, our homes, everything that we're involved in. And that's not a bad thing. But, you know, we sometimes forget why we're here. You know, the Bible says that the word of God is incorruptible seed and it will go out and produce that which God purposes it to do. The Bible says that the word of God is the power of God. So it carries power unto salvation. You know, that's how we were saved. That's how we became Christians. When someone shared with us the word of God, you know, when we confessed our, our, our sin before God and accepted him as our Lord and Savior, and we started going to church, the power of God is in the word of God. And that's helped us to grow as Christians. But you know, if that if that seed, if that incorruptible seed goes into the wrong kind of soil, it can become unfruitful. That's why Jesus taught this parable. It's really important for us to understand. You know, if our hearts are hard or closed, the word won't take root and it won't produce fruit. What did Jesus say to, the, to, to some of the, the Jews of the day? He said, you are hard hearted. You know, our hearts can become hardened to the things of God. It doesn't mean to say that we hate God, but sometimes our, our hearts can become so hard that, it, that the word, when it comes into our heart, it, the heart will reject it because it won't take um, root in our hearts because our hearts might be hard or closed. You know, the, this verse also says the desire for wealth magnifies this distraction. And when we think of money, we, we might think that money will make us all happy and it will cure this problem. But, you know, money always disappoints. How many famous people that do you know of that you see on your news that are going through really terrible times at the moment? These A-lister stars, these singers in bands, many of them have a real disturbed life. And you think if they had all that money, all that success, that that would make them happy. But a lot of them, their lives are really empty. You know, my life was empty before I met Jesus, but now my life is full because I know Jesus. 
Now, what I want you to do is keep your place in Mark 4, because we're going to go back there. And I want you to turn to 1 Peter 2.11. Got your Bibles this morning. It's good to bring your Bibles to church. Amen. I think it's good that you flick through the pages. You get to get used to knowing where the, the books are and where the verses are. And it's really good. As a young Christian, I, I started to memorize scripture. And it's really good when times get difficult for us to memorize the word of God. And, you know, this is what we need in these times, these difficult times. I am so aware of the attacks of the enemy. That's why we're teaching this, this sermon as well, to get us to realize that we have an enemy. In fact, we have these three enemies and we have enemies beyond this. You know, fear, worry, anxiety, depression. These are all things that can, you know, derail our faith sometimes. You know, Peter warns believers in 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 11, I'm going to read from the New Living. It says this, dear friends, I warn you. So scripture is there to encourage us, to build us up, to feed us so that we can grow as Christians. But a lot of these verses that we read in our Bibles carry with them a lot of warnings, especially for believers that have come out of darkness and been brought into light. Believers that have come out of the world and now brought into the kingdom of his dear son. You know, we need these warnings. We need to stay sharp. We need to stay on the word. We need to stay connected. We need to be in church. We need to be in our life groups. We need to be... Uh, developing relationships with other believers around us so that when times get tough and they will get tough how many of you have gone through really tough times this last year it's been really hard you know we're all I don't believe we're all in the same boat but I think we're all in the same storm your boat might be different to mine but I want to tell you Jesus is in the boat with you he's never going to get out of the boat and we need, don't need to get out of the boat either because he's in there with us he says I warn you look at this as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires. What do these worldly desires do? They wage war against your very souls. You know, we saw this word desire last week. And if you're taking notes, please take notes, get a notebook, write these things in your Bible. And um, this word desire, I don't use the Hebrew and the Greek to uh, impress you in any way. You know, our English language cannot describe the kinds of words that we see in our Bibles. But if we were to learn the Hebrew and the Greek or get a lexicon and, and uh, look at these words in a deeper way, it will show us a deeper meaning and give us a richer flavor to the word of God. That's why it's good for you to study the word of God. That's why it's great to get on these courses like Alpha like Christianity Explored. We're going to do some other discipleship, uh, a discipleship track this year to disciple the people that have come to faith and you who have a real desire and a hunger for the word. How many of you desire and hunger the word of God this morning? Oh, five of us. I'm so amazed that you're impressed by that. I'm so amazed that you're excited about that. Here we go. This word desire means this if you're taking notes. It, look at this. These are really strong words. That word desire in that verse means lust. It means craving. Desire for what is forbidden. You know, we can also be so consumed by the desire for other things that it can choke the word when we hear the word. You know, we need to weed our hearts every single day. We need to come before God and say, Lord, I come with you, uh, I come before you with an open heart this morning. Take every desire out of my heart 
that doesn't put you first. And you know, desires aren't bad things. It's when those desires de- replace our desire for God. It's when the desire to take one Sunday off and then the next Sunday off and then think, oh, I just go to church once a month. Why do I need to go to church? You know, what you're doing is allowing the desires of this world that we've forsaken to overtake the desire that we should have for God. Let God, and I I believe that God's doing some heart surgery on us this morning. And, you know, he's a real skilled surgeon. He's not a butcher. And when he does heart surgery on us, he's very careful to take that stuff out of our hearts that we no longer desire to have, that want to compete with his love and his grace. Okay, I just wanted to share that with you. We're going to go on to look at the second enemy of our faith. He's the devil. And, you know, he has a number of names. The names that he has that we can see in our Bibles, uh, the first one is Satan. He's called the devil. He's called the evil one. He's called the father of lies. He's a deceiver. He's called the serpent. He's called a thief. Now, I want you to go back in your Bibles to Mark 4. We're going to read from verse 14. Everyone all right today? Everyone okay? I'm so glad you're in church. Tell your neighbor, I'm so glad you're in church. Tell your neighbor the other side, um, it's good to be in church today. I'm so happy I joined today. And I know it's a sunny day and I know you want to get out there and go for a walk or uh, go and have a... I love that. Who said picnic this morning? Who brought that whole thing up about picnic? I can't remember who it was. It was Steve in our prayer meeting. He spoke about a picnic. And I thought, God, I can't wait to have a picnic out there uh, with Esther. We do that a lot on our day off. Anyway, are you at Mark 4? I digress now. I'm thinking about cake now. Okay, Mark 4.14. The New King James says this. Uh, And there's a reason why I wanted to go back to this. It says, the sower sows the word. So I'm sowing the word of God this morning. And verse 15 says, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear Satan comes, what does it say? He comes immediately to take away the word that was sown in their hearts. What does Satan do? He wants to steal the word. When does he want to do that? He wants to do that immediately when that was sown in our hearts. So the devil, you know, doesn't mind us going to church, but he hates it when we have a real hunger and a thirst for the word of God. Why is that? Why does he want to steal the word? He knows that this is the thing that's going to transform us and this is the thing that's going to help us to grow. It's no good leaving your Bible on the bookshelf and only visiting your Bible once a week. How many of you eat one, two, three, four, five meals a day? How many, how many eat more than five meals a day? I know some people in Asian countries eat about five or six miles, uh, meals a day, but they're very small meals. Now, who, who of you would only eat once a week? That's what we do when we leave our Bibles on the bookshelf. Let's get our Bibles out every day because the devil just wants to steal the word from us immediately, it says. Now, what I want you to do now is I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. This is talking about the armor of God. We're not going to go through that this morning, but we're just going to pick up on what the devil aims to do and wants to do. So we're going to have a look at Ephesians 6 verse 11. That's the Amplified I'm going to read from. And it says, put on the full armor of God. Why are we meant to put on the full armor of God? 
for his precepts are like the splendid armor of a heavily armed soldier. You know, guys, we're in a battle. We're in a war. And God has given us weapons of our warfare. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty in God, the Bible says, for the pulling down of strongholds. You know, so if God has given us weapons to deal with the fight that we have, you know, we're not here fighting the devil. He's defeated already. We're just enforcing the victory every day. Amen. And I know you think, oh, I'm in this terrible battle with the devil. You know, you just say, devil, you're defeated. You've been defeated already. So I'm just enforcing that victory. So it says there, his precepts are like the splendid armor of a heavily armed soldier so that you may be able to successfully stand up against all the, look at that, schemes and the strategies and the deceits of the devil. Okay, so what are the schemes and strategies of the devil? They are tricks, lies. He's a manipulator, so he wants to manipulate us. And he's, his words are designed to deceive someone. You know, we can see why we need to put on the whole armor of God so that we can protect ourselves from the schemes of the devil. And, you know, we have the helmet of salvation to protect our minds, the breastplate of righteousness. You need to see yourself as righteous. Otherwise, you're never going to live a victorious, overcoming life. We've got the belt of truth. We need to gird our loins with truth. We've got the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. What else have we got? We've got the shield of faith. Sadly, so many people leave their shield along with the rest of their armor in the cupboard. It's like when you go and dress yourself in the morning, dress yourself with the the armor of God every day. And then we got the sword of the spirit. What have we got to do with a sword? It's no good having it in its scabbard, is it? We need to get the word of God out. That's the sword of the spirit. That's why we need to know and memorize and confess the word of God over ourselves and our families and our situations every single day. We got to wield that sword against the enemy. That's what we have to do. So how often should we put on the armor? Once a week? couple of times a week, every day, every single day. So God has given us the weapons to help protect ourselves and defend ourselves and attack the enemy. But sometimes we fail to put them on. We want God to protect us and keep us safe, but we fail to put the armor on. That's what we've got to do. God will protect us. He will keep us. But we've got to remember to read our Bibles, to pray and get God in on our situation every single day. Okay, do you remember what the enemy did to Eve in the garden? He sowed a lie in a perfect environment and she was deceived. She believed the lie. She was deceived and the rest was history, wasn't it? I want us to turn to our next passage of scripture in 1 Peter 5 verse 8. I'm going to read from the Amplified. And the Apostle Peter is writing to Christians that have been scattered in Asia Minor. It was a place and um, he's writing to these Christians. And again, he, these, these verses of Scripture carry these warnings for every believer to take hold of. This is why we need to learn these Scriptures so that we know uh, how to um, defend ourselves against the enemy when he wants to speak these lies to us. It says there in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, are you there yet? The Amplified, you should be there. It says, be sober. It doesn't mean to say that we shouldn't get drunk. Well, we shouldn't get drunk. 
doesn't say don't drink. It says be sober. We need to be sober in our thinking, sober in our minds. That's what I believe this is saying. Be sober, well-balanced. How many of you are well-balanced? Some, some people have got a chip on their shoulder. Some people are really blessed and they've got both chips on both shoulders. Be well-balanced and self-disciplined. You know, for us to be Christians, we need, we need to be self-disciplined. We need to be alert and cautious some of the time. Is that what it says in the Amplified? We need to be cautious part of the time. We need to be uh, well-balanced, self-disciplined, alert and cautious, it says, at all times. Why is that? That enemy of yours, say this, I have an enemy and I need to understand that I have this enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking someone to devour. You know that word devour, if you're taking notes in the Greek, because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. And that word devour, he means to drown. Wow, this is so descriptive, isn't it? When you look at that word devour, we think it just means to eat something. I want to devour. I'm, I'm going to talk about food now, aren't I? Who's got lunch ready? Who's, who can't wait for lunch? Well, you're getting a spiritual meal at the moment. So let's finish this first before we think about lunch. That word devour means to drown. It actually means to swallow and it actually means to destroy. You know, the Bible says in John 10, 10, that the thief, that's the enemy, has come to steal, kill and destroy. That's part of his modus operandi. And it says, it doesn't say in this verse that the devil is a roaring lion. He prowls around like one. He only acts like he's a roaring lion. He's a defeated pussycat. You know, there's only one lion and that's Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's just a counterfeit the enemy. The real lion is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he lives in you. Let's hear you roar this morning. Come on. You're all muted, so I can't hear you. Let's hear you roar. Roar. Come on. Some of you are doing it. Well done, Cindy. She's shoving her arms up, and she's roaring. Some of you are just going ballistic now. Some of you should be running around the room. going absolutely bonkers like me i'm sorry you've only got to deal with one personality i've got to deal with about 100 personalities so so please bear with me is that all right hey don't worry about it i'm, I'm all i'm all good now i'm all settled down now you know jesus said he saw satan fall like lightning from heaven and you know what he's under your feet and what i want you to do now is just pick your foot up like that and just crush the enemy under your foot just stamp on his head let's do that so how are we meant to deal with the enemy let's have a look at verse 9 let's go down to 1 peter 5 9 and it says this but resist him we've got to resist the enemy be firm in your faith against his attack look at this rooted say i am rooted established say this i am established immovable say this come on declare this to the enemy devil i am immovable we need to draw a line in the sand and say devil you've crossed that line many times there's the line you're not crossing it any anymore because i am rooted i'm established i'm immovable then it goes on to say knowing that the same experiences of suffering how many of you have been suffering the last year 
We've been suffering in some way, aren't we? Haven't we? It says, uh, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. You do not suffer alone. And I'm sure our suffering, you know, pales in insignificance to the suffering that many Christians worldwide have suffered from persecution. Even some people giving up their lives because they will not... um, They will not deny their Lord. So that's what this says. We need to be uh, uh, firm in our faith, rooted, established, immovable, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters around the world. You do not suffer alone. You know, when the enemy attacks, the first place that he will attack, he will attack is the mind. The mind is the battleground. That's why we need to put our helmet of salvation on every single day because the what what would the dem, the devil want to do with our mind he wants to just sow lies and thoughts into our mind but this verse says that we need to resist him you know that word resist in the greek is the word antistemi that's where we get the word antihistamine from and that word resist if you're taking notes it means to fight against notice it doesn't say to run away It means to fight against. It means to withstand. It means to oppose. It means to set against. We need to be on the front foot every day, waiting for the devil to attack us in some way every single day, because he's not going to let up, you know. And, you know, if you're being attacked in some way, and I know that's not very nice, we're all being attacked in some way, you know, we're obviously doing something good for God. Amen. Every moving thing is going to face resistance. Everything that move, moves re- faces resistance. And, and we're not immune from that resistance. You know, we're not to turn our back and run when the enemy wants to face us down. There's nothing in the armor of God that protects the back. Have you noticed that? It doesn't say to turn your back and run. There are times when we need to not be in a fight. But we need to take the fight to the enemy if he wants to try and, and rob us. You know, if someone tried to mug you or rob you and you resisted, if you haven't looked at that word resisted, what would resistance look like? You would stand your ground and you would fight back. That's what this means. You know, we have to face our enemies head on, just like David did when the uncircumcised Philistine came and defied the armies of the living God. A young boy just ran, ran towards his enemy and struck him down. Add the the devil's already struck down. We just got to reinforce that victory that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. Easter's coming, guys. Don't forget, we've got a service on Good Friday and we've got a service on Easter Sunday. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need to be here. Turn to whoever's next to you, say, you need to be here Good Friday and Easter Sunday. If you've got no one sitting next to you, say it to the cat, say it to the dog, to the budgie, whoever you've got in your living room at the moment. Okay, let's read verse verse 9 again. I want to just reestablish this. It says, be firm in your faith against his attack. 
rooted, established, immovable, being firm, rooted and established. And immovable means we have to face our enemy standing strong, not giving him any ground. You know, there's another verse like this. It's similar to this. I want you to turn to James 4, verse 7. I'm going to read from the New King James. I'm preaching myself happy now. You know, some of these verses might be really familiar to you and they might not be. That's okay. It's good to just refresh our minds because these enemies attack. He's not going to stop attacking us. So we need to be continually ready. Okay, James 4, 7. Are you there yet? It says, therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. There's that word resist again. And he will look at this. He will do what? He will flee from you. Who has to resist the devil? We do. Firstly, again, by putting our armor on. And then we resist the devil, it says, and he will flee from us. You know, guys, we must understand this truth. This is a truth that we have authority over the enemy. And the only authority he has is the authority that we give him. Now, is that possible that we can give the authority, give the devil authority in our lives? Is there any way that we could give ground to the devil in our lives? Is this possible? Is this possible for the devil to have some kind of hold over us in any way? Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 10. Now, keep your place in Ephesians. We're going to go back to Ephesians 4 verse 26. But go to 2 Corinthians 2. Verse 10, I'm going to read from the Amplified. <clears throat> Is there any way that the devil could get a foothold in our lives? It says, if you forgive anyone, anything, I too forgive that one. And what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of and with the approval of Christ. Look at this. Look at verse 11. To keep Satan from taking advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. You know, the devil can take advantage of us if we don't forgive others. Can you see that? God says we need to forgive. What were the last words that Jesus said on the cross? These are powerful words. These are the last words Jesus spoke. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they're doing. Okay, let's have a look at another verse. You're not, you're not convinced by that. Let's go to Ephesians 4.26. Going to read from the Amplified. Here's another verse for us to look at. It says, Be angry at sin and immorality, at injustice, at ungodly behavior, behavior yet do not sin. Do not let your, do not let your anger cause you shame, nor allow it to last until the sun goes down. You know, the Bible says, be angry, but don't sin. That's what it says. That's, the, the Bible clearly says that. So there is a righteous sort of anger that we're probably allowed to have. <clears throat> but don't sin while doing it. Verse 27 says, look at this. And do not give the devil an opportunity to lead you into sin by holding a grudge or nurturing anger or harboring resentment or cultivating bitterness. You know, prior to me becoming a Christian, Esther upset me one day. We weren't married very long, and I hold the record 
for not talking to her for five days. Now, that's, B, that's my BC days, my before Christ days. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to make her sweat. I'm going to make her want to talk to me. I'm not going to talk to her for the next five days. So every time she spoke to me, I was miserable. And I, I just wouldn't forgive her for the thing, whatever she did. I couldn't remember what it was. And after five days, I came to the conclusion that that was an absolute waste of time. Because if you know my wife, my wife is very calm. And that's what the boys, my boys would say to her, mum, we hate it. I know, dad, in those days, I used to fly off the handle. I know you wouldn't believe that of me. I used to, you know, I, I had a very short fuse. Praise God, God has done a work in me. But Esther is just so constant. You can't rile Esther. You just can't. She's just so constant. And after five days, I was the one who was suffering. And I had to say sorry for those five. I learned very quickly that you can't hold on to those kinds of things. We need, guys, we need to learn to forgive very, very quickly. You know, one translation says of that verse, it says, don't give place to the devil. Another says, don't give him a foothold. How can we give place uh, or uh, a foothold to the devil? These verses tell us we can give the devil a foothold in our lives through unforgiveness or bitterness. It says in that verse, by holding a grudge against someone, by nurturing anger or harboring resentment or cultivating bitterness. Now, why would the writer warn us about giving the devil a foothold or a place to him if it wasn't possible? You know, guys, we need to not play in the devil's playground. How many of you have lived in a high crime area? Now, if you lived, I've lived in a high crime, I used to live in Johannesburg, and it was the most dangerous place on the planet per capita of people. It was the murder capital of the world per capita of people. And you couldn't, you couldn't leave your door open. But um, if, you, if you lived in a high crime area, how many of you would leave your front door open in a high crime area? None of you. I know you'd use wisdom and you wouldn't. But what would happen if you did? Thieves would just walk in, wouldn't they? You might as well just put a sign outside and say, my house is open, just come and break in and steal from me. That's what we do when we open the door to the enemy, when we give him a foothold in our lives. We need to close the door on the devil and don't give him a foothold. Let's not give him opportunity to rob us of our joy, our health and our peace. You know, although our fight isn't against people, the devil can sometimes use people to do his will. How many of you have found that out? Even Christians, you know, the devil can even use Christians against us sometimes. Even our best friends, they can turn on us sometimes. You know, the devil, they use people that were close to Jesus. Let's look at John 13, verse 2. John 13, verse 2, the New King James. Now, this is Jesus now. He's going to go to the cross. He knows his time is near. He's having Passover and it says, and supper being ended. So this is at the, at the, the last supper here. John 13, verse 2, the New King James. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. You know, Jesus referred to Judas and declared to the 12 disciples in John 
6, just go back to John 6, you're in John 13, just go back a few chapters to John 6, verse 70. It says, Jesus answered them and says, did I not choose you, the 12, and one of you is a devil? You know, there's a, a verse in Luke that talks about Satan entering Judas when he betrayed Jesus. And that's in Luke, you're, you're in John, so uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, just go back one chapter. If not, you can see the, the verses. Hopefully they're on the screen there. Luke 22, verse 3. Now, this is a really very difficult uh, verse to interpret. And it has a, a lot of depth to this that we're not going to go into at the moment. But this is very interesting. You might never have seen this verse before. And if you had, it will be worth studying it yourself. And maybe at some point we can explain this to you. Luke 22, verse 3. Look at this. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. You know, he was one of the twelve. You know, when they went out, when Jesus sent out those disciples doing miracles, do we think that Judas could have been one of those twelve? I believe that he was. He probably went out and did the will of God. But right here it says that Satan entered Judas. Again, this is a very deep uh, verse. I don't want to go into that this morning, but I just want to say, that sometimes the enemy can use us and we're not aware of it. What did Jesus say to Peter when he said, no, Lord, so be it from you. You're not going to die on the cross. What did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. You know, he addressed Satan and he didn't address Peter. Again, our fight isn't against flesh and blood. It's not against people, but it's against the spirit that's behind people. Do we understand that? I'm coming into land now. Let's go to these verses quickly if we can. They're all in John John 8, 42, Jesus said this, you are of your father, the devil. He was speaking to the Jews at the time and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. So Jesus is talking about the devil uh, and he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. You know, those Jews wanted to kill Jesus. What was one of the commandments? Thou shalt not kill, but yet they want to kill him. And look at John 8, 59, if you want to go there quickly with me. I know this is taking up a, a little bit of time, but I think it's just important for me to finish this. It says, then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out from the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. Let's look at um, the letter of John. I'm just going to read these very quickly. 1 John 3.10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. And he, anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love the Father. And let me read this couple of last verses here. Matthew 13.36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. So that's Jesus. Verse 38, the field is the world, the good seeds and the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Last verse I want to share with you this morning, and I know this has been quite long, 2 Timothy 2.25, the new King James. Paul writes to Timothy and he says this, 
in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God will perhaps grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape. Look at this, the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. Now, Paul is addressing the false teachers of the day and, and Paul is encouraging Timothy to correct these false teachers. Otherwise, verse 26 says that they will um, escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive to do his will. We can see quite clearly from the verses that we've read over the last couple of the weeks that we have three enemies of our faith. We've seen two of them already, the world and the devil. Next week, we're going to have a look at the flesh. So let's just uh, just close our eyes for a moment. I just want to give people an opportunity. I'm sorry, I might have run a little bit late, but I needed to just finish that. But let's just give people the opportunity that don't know Jesus to meet with Jesus. Father, thank you that for this opportunity that we have to come as a family, to learn more about you, to come to fellowship, to learn more about you, more about your word, and more about how we can stand in these dark times against the schemes, the lies, and manipulations of our enemy, the devil. So, Father God, I thank you <clears throat> for the victory that you had at the cross when you gave your life willingly to die for mankind's sin. But we believe you were buried and you rose again. And we thank you, Father God, that we have found new life in you. What about you? What about those of you who are listening today who don't know Jesus, who are not part of the family of God? And maybe you've tuned in today and listened to this message you might have understood everything that I've said, but you've been intrigued by what I've said. You know, we're a family at Fields and most churches are regard themselves as a family. We're the family of God. We're part of the family of God. What about you? Are you assured that you are part of that family? If you're not, then you can be assured today just by saying a simple prayer after me that will start your journey as a Christian. And then you need to get into a church and learn more about God and so forth so you can grow. But if I'm speaking to you this morning, I believe you're not here by accident. And I believe that God has been knocking on the door of your heart. Are you a person this morning who hasn't made Jesus the Lord of your life and you'd like to today? If you would, then just say this prayer after me. Just pray it from your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I come to you now. And I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and that you were crucified and you were buried. But I also believe that you were raised from the dead. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.